0: MG and Scotty, another potty. how are we Boys? doing? Good afternoon, lads. How are we? i well, man. MG, I missed you, bro. I haven't seen you in a, a little bit of time. You didn't come out on Friday night. You had something else on. So I can't wait to see you uh, on Friday. I come it's down to do some PTs and then uh, we go out Friday night. So but Scott,
1: double, Scott doubled up for me, man. I miss you too. Scott doubled up for me. Can you tell, Scott, tell everyone what you said? Expi- explain what happened on your Friday and then was it Saturday or Sunday?
2: Oh, the double soup! Uh, yeah, we went for a <laughs> soup on, on Friday, and then when I got home, Jen said, "Oh, how was it?" I said, "Yeah, it was really, really good." We should go, and it was it was pretty warm on Saturday, I think, from memory. And she finished work early, so I was like, "Let's go!" We'll take the kids; they've never had a soup. The, the little outdoor area there is good; they can run around. Okay. So we got there at like I don't know five o'clock or something. It was pretty dead, mm-hmm. and. um and yeah, the girl there was like, wow, was you're back again. I'm like, yeah, I brought the kids this time as well. So <laughs> Harvey was. had his first soup and Evie as well. And um, I didn't realize they do salads there. Jen just had a salad with the chicken in it. She said it was awesome. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. Because yeah, was, like, she would have
0: remembered you because you brought in your gluten-free wrap. Yeah, yeah, well,
2: and this time I had more wraps because Evie uh, eats gluten-free as well. So I made her a soup, but... At- in the end, she didn't even didn't even touch it because she ate half of Jenny's salad and we got the kids some chips and stuff. Yeah. So I ended up um, having Especially two too. soups. <laughs> and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, man, I had I had the meat sweats later that night. I was all right after I ate it, but at about ten o'clock I was sitting in bed and I could just feel my body heating up as it was just trying to metabolize all that yeah. chicken. So I'm definitely a, a one soup kind of guy. <laughs> Cause there's a That's bit so- of meat in them. That's all it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: awesome, man. I love yeah. it.
2: But, um, but no, it's good. It was really good.
0: Uh, i got a, I got a kind of serious question for you guys. I, <clears throat> I'm going to ask it, but I want you to give an answer within about five seconds because I don't want you to overthink it, all right? <laughs> no. you, don't, you don't know what this question is. This is like straight off, right? You can all land. So I'm going to ask it to both of you and I want you to both yell out your answer within about five seconds, okay? Okay. So $10 million or or go back
2: 10 years of your life? $10 million. Go back 10 years.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I, I would, I'd go back the 10 years because you can't get time back. I'd definitely oh, go back. There's, there. see, answering it so quick, it's hard because there's so many yeah. questions like I want to break down. Like, Yeah, because some people, like if you really, really think about like, cool, yeah, I'll go back 10 years and I'll go invest in Bitcoin or something, you know, and then make like oh, yeah, I didn't even think billion billion, right? But yeah. I think the, Having not think about it and more think about time versus money, not I can go back in time and make money, like you've got to choose between the two, makes it really interesting because I was listening to this potty of this guy's a billionaire, right, and he's in his 50s. And he got asked the question, and they said, would you give up all your net worth to go back 10 years? He goes, in a fucking heartbeat. And that's someone that's a billionaire. So I was like, okay, let me make it a little bit more – practical for us because we're not billionaires, right? Or not even billionaires. So I came up with the 10 mil or 10 years.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what what my rationale was, just in that five seconds. It's like everything great started to happen for me when, say, me and I started, when me and I got together, right? Mm -hmm. Which was about five. So my brain, I was like, well, I could try and start that process five years earlier. Yeah. And then where would I be? I'd be five years ahead.
0: Yeah, 100%. Uh, that's what I thought too. It's like everything I know now, if I could go back 10 years, having all the knowledge and experience I have now, life would be so different. I'd probably still be doing what I want to do like this, but it would just be in a, in a different space for sure.
2: Yeah. See, mine was probably more framed thinking, I've got two amazing kids. If I did something yeah. to change that narrative and I wasn't able to have them, but also straight away, I'm thinking $10 million, $10 million, My kids, I can look after them, I can scale back, (laughs) I can spend, I can be full-time, not have to do anything. Like, if you're smart with what you do with $10 million, you don't have to really, you can live off that, make that work for you, and then I could just eat, train, sleep, and be a dad and be a husband. It'd be pretty good.
0: Yeah, it makes total sense. Hey, but
1: could you cheat the the system? You know all the
2: results for the last 10 years. (laughs) Well, this is the thing. If I have more time to think about it, obviously, of course, I would just go back, I'd do everything the same, but... Instead of buying a house, I would try and find out the guy that um that came up with Uber Eats or whatever the next big thing <laughs> was, and say, "Bro, I've Go got this in. crazy idea. Let's split it down the middle." See, I'll yeah. put up the startup yeah, and then Time you is do the everything, and then I'll just live off the uh, the passive income forever, and then it's a win win.
0: I think as you get older, that the answer to the question will change.
2: Yeah, of course. Yep, totally. time, time will be more
1: important so it's yeah. Like, yeah, if you
2: were to ask me you're going to still end, like, have everything that you have in terms of the people and all of those things and all of that stays the same then 100% I'll just go back for sure yeah. but if that was like uncertain and it could change you know mm-hmm. the the outlook on it then
0: yeah. we're getting super philosophical but let me just add one more thing in because I was listening to that same potty and this guy talked about how his father passed away and he said that, um, that he would have acted differently and would have said things differently and spent time differently with his dad if he could go back 10 years too. So, you know, some of us out there still have our parents, some of us don't, but for the ones that do, maybe that's something to think about. If if someone in your family was to pass away, would you have some regret in thinking, I wish I spent more time or said things that I didn't ever say to them or whatever that may be. So that made me think after I listened to that, and I was like, I, I, I don't want to live with any regret from that perspective of how I treat people around me. It could be parents, could be whoever that may be because if they were to, to leave this earth, then uh, I reckon it'd be some regret. So I've definitely changed some things. You know, like my parents, They're getting close to 70 now, right? My dad's 70 this year, so, um, yeah, it's definitely perspective there for sure. Yeah, spot on, man. Yeah. Um, One question that we got was, when you were young, what did you want to be when you grew up? MG?
1: Well, that's a good question, man. Um, We had this... (laughs) We had this thing in my family when I was really young. It's going to make people laugh. Do you know? Do you know what? I, I reckon I would have been sub seven. But do you remember the toilet duck? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to be the toilet duck. Why? What? I just thought it was a cool character. Man would like had like a superhero costume. Would clean toilets. I just thought the toilet duck was a legend, man. I wanted to be I wanted to be the toilet
0: duck. Okay. Other than the toilet duck was it yeah. a oh, profession I... or something? Yeah. <laughs> that
1: that is a, that is a very important profession. Thank you very much. Yeah, true. Uh now nah, I I always wanted to be a police officer because my grandfather yeah. was. That's well cool. he was in Italy. He was a police officer in Italy, so uh that's what I always thought I wanted to be. But as I got older, I just knew that it was not gonna suit me because I'm just too I just always want to help people and mm. then there's some people who would probably take advantage of that and mm. I wouldn't notice. Yeah. I started to realize that as I got into my early 20s
2: just with my personality. Yeah. What about you, Scotty? I always just wanted to play professional basketball. Really? Yeah. Did you ever play? Just...
0: Like not professionally, but did you ever play a lot of basketball? Yeah.
2: So, and I was probably on that trajectory earlier that was what i was going to do i had a scholarship to america and then i decided i had a relationship at the time and i didn't decide i wasn't going to go and so i didn't and then i just got sick of it just because it was, when you're younger you probably don't have looked that far ahead but when you're in that sort of between 17 and 20 back then there was so many um obligations like it became like a job early on and you're not being rewarded. like on say when you're turning 18, 19 and I would, I would have a game on a Friday night and then you'd have to get on a team bus and go and play um, wherever it was in the country that Saturday night. Like It could be a country game, it could be anywhere. And then all of your friends are out having a good time and you're missing out on that. And the next day you have a recovery, then you have another game. And it just mm-hmm. wasn't very fun anymore. So, But that was what I wanted to do. And then in the end decided I didn't want to pursue it anymore.
0: Wow. Interesting. I never knew that about you, man. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's so cool. Um for me and as cliche as this sounds I wanted to be a fireman because my dad my dad was one and is one Um so that, that he still a, like he still works as a fireman now yeah he is he doesn't like fight fires because he's like high up in the ranking now so he's with um, MFB or with the CFA MFB yeah oh mad. yeah he's been doing it for like over 35 I think it's like 37 years that's so cool it's so, so hard like, to get into the fireies. yeah now it's really hard yeah it is yeah. really hard um so I wanted to do that, but I also wanted to to work with cars because my dad was always yeah. good with his hands, and he would, that was his hobby. So I'd be the kid outside that would watch his dad do things and learn. Um, and I got to eventually do that. So like out of out of school, I went to me- I did mechanical engineering at uni, worked for Toyota for X amount of years as an engineer. So I ended up doing that. So one thing I did of what I wanted to be when I grew up was that, and and I, I was able to do that. But um, not the fireman thing. I'm probably a bit too old now to. Yeah, probably a bit too old to go and try to be a fiery.
2: No, you're not, man. You're a be you're a fitness a big part of it is you've got to have the physical abilities. Like the the physical um testing on that's real I mean, you know all about it. I've trained a few yeah. people before, it's pretty full on, man. Actually
0: it's funny because I had a client that was trained to be a fiery and I actually changed her whole programming to to help her pass the physical and practical aspect because mm-hmm. If you go online, you can look at all the physical um, tests you need to do, and they're very specific. Like yeah. it's like carrying x amount of weight up the stairs on this on one hand. It's like rope. It's like pulling the hose. It's carrying. The... So I changed her training to like have like different things in it. Um, so I reckon physically I could do it. The hardest part with the fiery is actually um, the interview, right? So, and what's difficult is the people that do well at it are the people that are older and have life experience and have worked in different industries because it's not, it's got to do with like, you know, you, you know, your, your knowledge, your experience, your life experience and how to handle situations. Right. So I probably could, but yeah, nah, I think I'm a, i am i think I'm past that.
2: What, what made you want to deviate from mechanical engineering, given that you were always into it, you did your studies with it and then you didn't want to do it anymore?
0: Back then, um, the automotive industry was dying in Australia. So like car manufacturers were going overseas, mm-hmm. you know, like obviously we know Holden closed, Ford eventually closed, Toyota closed. They all closed here, right? So the only thing that was left was really design. And I did a fair bit of design work, but I was like, eventually I'm going to run out of a job. Like there's going to be no progression, and especially when you've been in one industry for so long and that's your experience level. If that industry is no longer there, to transfer into a different industry but still engineering is it's difficult to start from the bottom again i was like no nah, i'm not prepared to do that so that's when i went and became um did project management uh, roles at uh a and z in financial financial services so mm-hmm. I was head office there and did project management for five years um and then during that time i was competing and um and just having fun with my hobbies so then I made that big, that big switch of, I think I want to do this full time. That's cool. It was, a big, it, was a big, it was a big risk, calculated risk though, because yeah. I had worked for so long, I had financial, I was financially stable, I had bought a house, I made sure I had a fair bit of savings to make that jump so that even though it was a risk, um, I could still sustain myself until that, until my coaching business built up and I gave mm-hmm. myself a year to do it. And just knowing my personality type and not wanting to to, to fail at stuff, um, I made it work. See, no regrets. There you go. No regrets. And you know what is, I think, and you boys can probably can, uh, attest to this too, is coming from other industries and having different experiences in life actually makes you a better coach. Like if I came straight out of school and just became a coach, I wouldn't be as what, as good as what I am now. So having all those experiences in different industries, um, working with different people, understanding how people live their life. Um, obviously, there's, for me, coming from engineering, it's a lot, it's process-driven, project-management-driven. So, you know, a comp prep, or even someone's fitness journey, is almost like a project. It's like managing a project, right? So a lot of those things have definitely helped. And MG, you know, that everything that you've done in your past has helped you be, the coach you are today and same as you scotty
1: oh definitely man yeah i did i did nearly 14 years in the bank actually i did the bank and the gym at the same time for multiple years i think i might That's have right. mentioned that before but it's actually funny that you spoke about um your dad and being a fiery because as you know mt and scott you've met my dad as well so my dad was a bank manager for 40 something years he was retired now, mm-hmm. and i was a bank manager and we actually were bank managers at the same bank Yes. So we actually got to work together, and anyone who knows my That's dad is a yeah. He's an angel of a man. He's so sweet. Everybody just gravitates to him. He's just he's got a great personality. Super affectionate. So when I when I was when I would go to a branch, even though I'd been at the bank for eight nine years, I was still Mark's son. Yeah, <laughs> because, of, because of the 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 type of guy that my dad was. But it definitely was like a pretty special thing to have um, worked in the same business as as my dad. Yeah, Um, but yeah, that set me up for being able to to being able to become a great coach. I mean, I I would manage financial relationships, not too dissimilar to what we do now. It is a project, but we're just managing far more aesthetic projects than I was managing at the back. Of course, of
0: course. Um, talking about coaching because now that's obviously what we all do. Um, we got a question about what to expect from a coach, the process, communication channels. Um How you should be interacting with your coach and what to expect, so I know we've had a lot of clients come from other coaches, and uh, we see that people do things a little bit differently <laughs> is what we could we could call it so maybe mg um, you can start yep. with you know what should someone really expect working with you or working with a with with a coach
1: yeah. Yeah, and it's probably really relevant at the moment, especially to me. I've had, like, multiple meetings in the last three weeks of people who have worked elsewhere. And the systems that they've had in place with their previous coaches have have been a bit, I'd say, almost shocking. So, like, the tracking, the measurement, the, the, the communication style has all been a little bit scattered. So to give you a bit of an idea about, you know, what I think the minimum expectation should be in terms of a coaching relationship... Whether it's prep or not, but if it's prep, without a doubt, right, is some sort of some sort of spreadsheet or tracker where you and your coach both get instant access to all of your daily and weekly data. And what I mean by that data is things like weight, nutrition system, steps, sleep, um, biomarkers, things like that, um, energy, hunger, stress, anything of that nature. So all of us have a have a some type of system. I know, obviously. Scott we use yours I've got my own MT I've seen yours as well through the, through your app and they're all pretty similar on top of that there should be um, access to some style of training program that's also measurable and recordable where both you and your coach can instantly see results if necessary and that is able to have changes made when the time is due when the program is due for a change and something that you can potentially look at together assess the data and you know Put in targets that
0: you want to aim for in the next week or the next block or whatever it is. So example is not not a PDF that's emailed to you that can't be edited or updated and reviewed. Spot on. Yeah. So like
1: as a, as an athlete, I sometimes sometimes I record things in a book that I have if I'm training and I'm at a different gym, but I always put it in my spreadsheet because I want to be able to look at it next week and say, okay, Scott, what do you think I should lift? He might put it. He might put an estimate of what he wants me to aim for. But I want it all digital. I don't want to be going through pieces of paper and, and trying to find what I did two or three weeks ago in my training because it's just not efficient. And anyone who's – let's just talk about prepping, even off-season. It's already – we're doing a lot. We're training. We've we got the food. We're, we're managing steps. We're managing probably families and work and all this. out of I don't want to be chasing pieces of paper from what I lifted three to four weeks ago. So yeah. that would be another important part. Um, then I think the two big ones are obviously – the check-in process and the type of style that the check-in takes Mm -hmm. um, and how you communicate with your coach. So I'll give you some examples of some stuff that I've heard recently, just in the last couple of weeks, no formal check-in only when my coach wants to tell me something, Mm -hmm. no formal check-in process or nowhere to officially check-in. I text my coach my weight every day and that's how we keep track of it. So well, I, I, I would, these things to me are like alarm bells and anyone who's out there who's coaching on these types of systems either bet has the most incredible memory in the world, the most <laughs> amazing photographic memory, because if you're managing any more than a handful of clients, there's just no way that you're going to be able to remember all this data or you're wasting a hell of a lot of time going through all of your text messages to try and work out something like your client's weekly average weight. Mm-hmm it's it would just be far too much so i would say those would be the key things to expect is a data entry system on both your 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 daily targets including your nutrition targets and your lifestyle targets as well as an entry system for your training that you can log and record your weight so that you know when you, when you need to overload what you lifted last week and what your coach's expectations are and then a formal check-in process that happens in my opinion at least every single week regardless of whether you're in prep or you're in off-season, I'm pretty sure every single, all three of us check in every client every week, mm-hmm. non-negotiable. Um, that's that's sort of what I would assume would be the minimum for what I would expect from a coach.
0: Yeah, and all of those plus some kind of visible plan. For sure. Yeah, that the client can see and then obviously you see and you update um, Yeah, yeah, all those things. What about, anything to add on that, Scotty?
2: No, I think you you pretty yeah. much just ticked it all off.
0: Yeah. What about communication channel and expectation in frequency of communication? How about that, MG?
1: Yes, yeah, so I I typically deal with all of my clients on, on two channels. Pretty much everyone, um, other than email, is is via Instagram DM. Mm-hmm. What I don't do is talk to clients on multiple channels. Yeah. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you guys a really funny story from many, many, many years ago. You can see Trimbo was really smiling on screen. When I did my first show, all those moons and moons ago when I was just a young fella and I had a full head of hair, I remember being like five or six weeks out. And I reckon I messaged MT on Instagram, then Messenger, then I'd shoot him a text. Not the same message. Something else would come in my brain and I'd be like, oh, well, I just had Messenger. So this poor bloke is trying to like answer my messages on four different platforms and all he had, all he had to do was tell me once. And I was like, shit, man, you're so right. So sometimes as, as an athlete, you don't even realize you're doing it. So if you're on screen, if you're listening to us now and you're someone who texts or messages your coach on every social media platform that exists, pick one and just try and keep it all in the same place. Mm. And also understand that, you know, if, if your coach, whoever they are has 10, 20, 30, 40 athletes, sometimes the expectation to get back to that message straight away is not possible because you've also got to throw in things like think about Scott's situation. Not only is he coaching 30, 40 competitors, he also runs a gym that's, you know, six days a week, um, it has staff that he has to manage as well as a family and he's got other commitments. So it's just not possible to have someone who who will rely, can reply to you instantly all the time. And I imagine every coach out there will do their best to get back as quick as possible. But sometimes it's just about setting the expectation for, how um, how fast you should expect a response. And I'm not sure if you guys have like a service level agreement that you try and stick to,
0: but I always say like within 24 hours. Yeah. So for me, communication, I try to keep coaching communication all on Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp because some people don't have Facebook, but yep. most people do. And that's the sole reason is so it's in one spot, but also I can use my laptop to type, right? right. right. Not my phone and with my thumbs, right? So that's why I keep it on there. And you can send files, drag and drop, all that kind of fun stuff. But obviously, I chat to people on Instagram, but I say that's social. Like, we're not talking coaching stuff there. And if they try to talk coaching stuff there or send me like a progress photo there, I'll be like, hey, send that, go send it to me on Messenger. Or I, I will save it and then send it to them on Messenger and be like, just putting it here so we have it here, right? Yeah. So that it's all in one spot, in one location. Because, yeah, like, I want it all in one spot. I can scroll up and down and go, what did we chat about? What did we do? Uh, what did we speak about? So, um, and from like how long should it take to get back? You'd expect something 24 hours. But if anyone knows me, I'm, I'm getting back to them pretty damn quick. Pretty damn quick. Especially if it's within, let's call it typical business hours. You know, if it's, uh, you know, between nine to six, it's pretty much straight away. If it's at night, I'm probably not, not on my phone. So you're going to get it in the morning, and then if it's on a Sunday, you're probably going to get it on a Monday. But how about you, Scotty? Do you, what what um, what kind of channels do you use, and what's the expectation?
2: Yeah, the same. So I have Instagram, as most people know. I'm not really big on on social media, so I have a business Instagram account. Um, I don't. I think I have a personal one somewhere, but I haven't been on it since maybe 2013 or whenever it came oh, out. Really. Yeah, I don't actually know. I I think Jenny set it up for me years and years ago, but I don't even know I don't even know what it is. I wouldn't be able to tell you the handle, the login. I just don't really use it. I don't have time for it. But um similar to you guys, so all my communications done via Instagram DM. Typically I'm awake from five most days and I'll have a process, but normally from about six thirty I'll um I'll head over to Instagram and have a look at what DMs athletes have sent through or clients have sent through, and then they'll normally get replied to between when I've opened them and say maybe 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and then there'll typically be another spot if it's when I'm eating my lunch in the middle of the day or meal two before I train, same thing. And then before I'm about to clock off is if there's anything that's urgent. But then like like you guys, after hours, normally from about five thirty, because that's when if I'm at home, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I got my kids, I won't be on Instagram until the, the morning. And even if I if I do for whatever reason. It's different, you know. If I was talking to say you guys, or if it was just some of my friends that have messaged me through that, but I, I won't open anyone's message just because it's I'm I'm not working. But that's pretty rare. I'm not normally on social media um, of an evening, and I think that way at least you have those boundaries and there's those expectations that if someone sent me something at nine thirty at night, you're not you're not gonna get a response from me then. And I think if you do start doing that, it's very easy to get into a habit of. You just on all the way and and, yeah. and all the time. And in our line of work, it's very person driven. And don't get me wrong, if there's something there and I see it and it requires urgency, then of course I'll I'll attend to it. But there have to be boundaries in place. And on the other side of things, if someone's messaged me at twelve o'clock and I just haven't had a chance to get to it at seven o'clock, and I know that this person is like a few weeks out, whatever, of course I'll I'll make sure that that's a priority. So typically for me, it's gonna if it's within business hours, it'll be within like two or three hours, you'll get a response. But after that, um, it'll just be the next morning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys the same? I don't have any social media notifications on. Me neither. Yeah. What about you, MT?
0: Uh, I do. No no dinging or sounds or anything like that. And it's all on my lock screen. So nothing actually pops up, if that kind of makes sense.
2: Um, It's only
0: on my lock screen. So I'll have to physically like click on my phone and scroll up on my lock screen to see the messages or to see anything. But if I look at my phone and I'm on it doing something, it won't just pop up at the top or whatever it is, like a push notification, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when I go to bed or even around about nine, nine thirty at night, even be- before bed, because I go to bed a little bit later than that, I'll actually put my phone on do not disturb. Cause I don't even want it to, I don't even want it to be there. I don't even want it to vibrate. I just don't want it. And then, And then when I wake up, I'll I'll turn it off, do not disturb,
2: and have a look. You you can set that automatically. So my phone does that at 7 p.m. every night. It goes on, do not disturb until 7 a.m. And then if I want to check messages, I can. But if someone tries to ring me, it'll go to voicemail. If they try and text me, it'll it'll say in a little purple text, um, Scott has it on, do not disturb. Because I literally, when I get home, my phone goes upstairs. I got an Apple Watch. And so nothing will come through to that because it's on as well. So that way I can still, if I'm moving around, it tracks my steps. Um, But. You don't have to be on on that front. But I think it's all of these things that we were just viewers, that's just what you do in our line of work. I don't think it's common practice because similar to what we were talking earlier, one, I signed on a, um, a, a new client about four weeks ago who was in a contest prep and he's fortunate that he's had enough room to be able to still compete this season, but he hadn't heard from his coach in two weeks. He hadn't received his check-in feedback is normally like every 7 to 10 days and it's paying top dollar coin for a service and again sending through the plan the plan it's just a generic cookie cutter nothing real special and then you know it's amazing how like we spoke about you have a consult you go through the process explain how you run and facilitate your coaching and then you feel like you're just giving this person they like they look at you in like the lottery like oh my god This is going to be so good, and then the next day, if they hit you up with a question, you respond straight away. It's just again, you're almost on a pedestal because they've gone from getting virtually nothing, and for us, it's just common. It's just how we practice as a coach, and it should be because the end of the day, if you're charging, you know, whatever everyone charges what they charge, but you're asking for for a fee. You need to render service. You need to make sure that the services that you're rendering are worth the money that you're charging. And again, they're taking the time, they're investing so much, it's not just money, it's the time and energy in an, mm-hmm. you know, toward an endeavor like a contest prep. As athletes who have competed, we know what toll that takes physically, mentally, emotionally. So for you to not be on board and ride that with them, as you guys know, we're all, with our athletes, we're in the trenches with them. Like, yeah. we live vicariously through our athletes. And when they're on stage, I know you guys are the same, but I'm giving my athletes, the same attention to detail as i am the way i would manage my own contest prep because yeah. it's an honor that and it's, a, it's there's an element of trust that they're putting in you to make sure that you're going to get them the best and most optimal results so i think it's a shame that unfortunately there are and it's like every industry you're going to have a few black sheep that potentially just don't have that same diligence and attention to detail to be able to give back what what the client should get but i think it's Common practice now. If you're not getting what we just spoke about, what MG just said before, or if your coach isn't giving you that, then there's so many good coaches out there now. Perhaps you just need to, you know, do a little bit more homework and and ask around. I think that's the the easiest way to be able to gauge. If you're looking at signing on with someone, again, this gentleman said to me, I've spoken to a few people that you work with, yada yada yada. So at the end of the day, your reputation is is your biggest asset. That's your biggest marketing tool. So it's not hard to. If I want to work with Michael Trimboli, I might have a look at who he coaches, send him a DM. Everyone's pretty friendly on social media. It's not hard to get some information. Yep, great, yep, great. You know, there you go. The proof is in the pudding. You can see the athletes they present. You know the way they go about it is great. Um, and then that that really should be the due diligence that you take to be able to, um, to go about your coach. And if you get a cookie cutter response, for like all the details here, this is my pricing versus Asking questions back when someone inboxes me, you know, how when we're looking at competing, have you got some progress pictures? And then this is the process. If you were keen to move forward, we would set a consult, go through some bits and pieces, gauge where you're at. I can give you my two cents of when I think you would be able to compete. And then from there, if it marries up, great. If it doesn't, no hard feelings.
0: Yeah, I I think there's some things that we do that when we get new clients come across or even a consult or inquiry and we we do what we do they're like wow I i i've never got that before or or i never Mm. i I think to myself that's a no-brainer like it's like how else would you interact with someone how else would you coach well
1: how how, how else are you measuring and analyzing like yeah like that's yeah it has it has been uh, it has been mind-blowing but look on the same token you know, if it's someone who's starting out and just hasn't got to the point of developing a system like that, or True. or you know, sometimes these things take time. I and mean, we've all gotten better as the years have gone on. But there should be a basic system of of data analysis and measurement, hundred percent, and a very and a very consistent check in process. Yeah, hundred percent.
2: And if you are starting out, I think there's an element of you got to bide your time. Like you got to you. There's so many young coaches now who they do their PT certification and then all of a sudden, I want to be an online coach because I can work remotely anywhere in the world. I can make mm. good money. You've got to pay your dues. And I think you need to have had experience yourself in the trenches, but also I think you need to have had experience with some good mentors, work with a coach. If someone says, oh, I want to do this, or if I want to I want to be the best natural physique coach in the world, I want to be an IFB, the best coach there is, I'll go and find whoever I think is the best coach or is where I want to be. And then you need to go and learn from that person. And that is where you're going to get a lot more of your education. Just passing your basic certifications, whether you have a degree or you don't, that's just the base. Like then your education really starts because you've got to learn how to implement that. You need life experience in terms of how to be able to relate to people. So I think there's definitely an element that you need to have worked with some people that are where you want to be. So that you can see what are the characteristics, the mannerisms, the way that they run their, you know, their systems and and essentially upskill so that you're at a level that you may not be able to offer what they can, you know, over a 6-12 month period. But you're going to go a long way to starting and doing your apprenticeship so that over time you'll get better and better like everyone does.
0: Yeah. And if there's anyone coming up or anyone that wants to be a coach or is a coach and wants to improve, hit us up. Like hit Like, I'm more than happy, and I'm sure you boys are more than happy to answer any questions, let them know how we run our business, how we run how we do things. Like, if we're just gonna make this industry better and 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 create better coaches, I'm I'm all for it. There's there's no scarcity of of business and clientele here. So I'm more than happy to help anyone that wants to be a better coach, for sure. I know you boys would feel exactly the same. Oh,
1: for sure, man. Absolutely. I offered it to someone just this morning, man. So
0: Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah, so hit us up, peeps, if you want any help. Uh, okay, moving on to a comp prep question. Um, can we talk about quitting a comp halfway through? So I had to think about this question actually, and there's got to be a, I think there's got to be a bit of context in when we give some advice about what you would do and why you would quit. If it's like for an injury, if it's for life circumstances and situations change and it's going to disrupt your prep by all means if that means that you have to quit your comp and that's all good there's plenty of comps going around and I've I've had this conversation with um, a couple of clients actually I'll give give two examples one is I had a client that was in prep halfway through, um, they're going to laugh when they hear this Uh, they lost their, their license which meant that they would have to catch a bus and they lived in a rural area and the bus only came every X amount of hours and they just couldn't get to the gym and they were a single mum with two kids and it was just too hard. And I was like, plenty of comps out there in the future. Let's just (laughs) let this one ride out and uh, go back into uh, off-season, manage it the best we possibly can to do what we can and then when the timing's right, and your foundation is stable and life is stable again, and you can 100% commit and tick the box and get everything done, we'll go back into comp prep. And that person now this year is going to compete. And they literally just mentioned me this morning. They said, this is the best best I feel about comp I've ever felt about this off-season and how good I feel about going into the next comp prep. So that was one example. I had another example, which I spoke to this person recently, is their life has just been completely changed uh, family life and things like that and i literally said to them this is a big disruption we need to worry about your mental health first above anything to do with comp prep so they haven't started prep but i said we need to manage what you're going through at the moment and making sure that is stable before we even start a prep so there's reasons why you may not prep cut a prep halfway through whatever that may be that are. Uh, that make total sense, right? That make total absolute sense. Um the other reasons why someone may quit their comp prep is because they feel they're not going to be ready, right? Which is everyone feels that. I, I mean, like we have people that look, look so ready and they're like, Am I gonna be ready? And I'm gonna be ready, don't worry. So if you're having those thoughts, let the coach answer that question. Right? And reassure you whether you're going to be ready or not. Don't quit a comp prep because you think you're not ready, because you're always going to think that. Most people are always going to think they're not ready, Mm -hmm. okay? Because we all have doubts and we can't really visibly see sometimes and be the best accurate um, predictor of how we think we're going to go and whether we're ready or not. The next one is if you quit a prep because you can't handle it. Like you just, and I'm saying if you're if you're doing things in your prep that are above and beyond what you need to do like we've had past clients that have gone through preps and like how did you do that like how did you do that much cardio how did you eat that less food like how did you I don't know how you did that prep so if you're in a, a prep like that and you can't handle it I, I I hear you I hear you but if you're in a prep that's been done right and you can't handle it you can't do the cardio, you can't do the diet, you can't do the training, you can't do the posing, you can't do the sacrificing or social situations, things like that, is that's you ending the prep because you can't buy in what's required to get the prep done, right? And I think that's going to go back to the reasons why you're competing, right? If you're competing uh, because you're trying to get back at someone or... (laughs) It's for revenge or it's because it's the cool thing to do and you want to get some cool photos or do do what everyone else is doing. Or My best friend's competing so I want to compete with them. Those reasons might get you through a prep but more likely won't be strong enough reasons to get you through what's required to prep because prep is not easy. It's a lot of sacrifice involved, right? So if you're doing prep for the wrong reasons, you will probably pull out. Some people don't. Some people have, are doing prep for those reasons and get through it and do amazing. But it's not, it's not the majority, right? So prepping for the right reasons and wanting to do this for the right reasons is going to make the biggest difference if you're going to see this thing out to the end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also, is the prep lifestyle congruent with your traditional lifestyle? right so you know for instance those people that maybe are doing prep because they want to fix their unhealthy lifestyle they're probably not going to last the prep uh if they're doing prep because they think it's going to improve their mental health or it's going to improve something that's broken or something that needs fixing they're probably not going to last the prep you need to prep when you have everything your foundation is solid right super solid um, because there's so much sacrifices involved and so many things you need to commit to and need to do on a daily basis to get through the process. So um, if you want to quit, it's fine. Like, no problem. No one's forcing you to do this. No one's forcing you to do this at all. Um, but if you're quitting for any of those reasons that, we, that I spoke about, um, that should all be a massive conversation with your coach and with people that are around you that support you because they know you best. What do you, what do you think? So with you, MG, about quitting, quitting a prep
1: through. I would say this, I would say the position I like to be in when somebody starts prep is that the amount of changes you have to make to turn it into prep is minimal in essence really in a lot of cases all you're changing is your food and the way that you move but you should already be living and breathing the lifestyle whether you've been just growing or whether you've been maintaining or or going through a metabolism phase if you're someone who has to change everything about your lifestyle to start that prep it's probably not a prep I want to start as a coach Mm -hmm. it's too many things to to chop and change you should already be living and breathing a big part of it and that's what I see is the biggest thing for people who end up not wanting to continue with, with a prep is that the start of their prep, they weren't set up well and they had to change far too many things and it just became too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You need to have already practiced sacrificing social situations. The reason why I like spending time in off-season with people is not for the obvious reasons as well, which is build your metabolism up, try and grow as much muscle tissue, get an idea of where the person's you know maintenance calories are and how they respond to certain things that we do as coaches. Is I like to see that someone knows how to sacrifice.
0: hmm
1: and sometimes in off season, even though you might be eating, you know, as a female, 350 gram of carb, you can't go to restaurants every three days. You still need to, you still need to make sacrifices and, and prep food. And, you know, prepping food's a big one and be able to say no to social situations. And you still need to be able to get into a gym five days a week. It's like people who, uh, you know, I've, I've been training two to three days a week with mates. I haven't tracked or measured anything. I've, I've never tracked or measured food. I like to go out every single weekend. And it's like, I'm going to jump straight into prep. so that's, that's just too big of a switch in, in one big hit. So for me, I, that, that's the thing I say is I say that the, the people that do pull out for the reasons you mentioned earlier, it's typically because they've had to change too many circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And have I, have I had people who have pulled out? I've had people who have pulled out for reasons that are outside of your control. Emily's gotten pregnant twice during prep. That's one yeah. example. What are you going to do, right? So, but we're getting there. We're so close. We're, we're finally competing this season. Um yeah. and then I've had a, a you know just last season a really great young athlete whose partner had a really terrible accident on a work site, yeah, and he was her training partner. they're obviously lovers best friends, and just going to the gym without him to find the motivation just became too much and too sad mm-hmm. so so it, the emotional decision to to protect her well being was we'll do a show in years like just take a break yeah. and, and and help him get better so Pulling out a prep are okay. I just think if you want to set yourself up for success, have all the right pieces to the puzzle before you start the prep.
0: Yeah. Do it for the right reasons and have the sure. lifestyle that's congruent.
1: Have the lifestyle that is already there. Like you're just changing such small, small details.
2: Yeah. What do you think, Scotty? I think you guys have have nailed it. You've got it like we the main takeaway there is like we said, you've got to have a, a why, you've got to be willing to sacrifice, but also You need to be able to create an environment that's conducive with the contest prep lifestyle because it's not easy. If it was, everyone would do it. Everyone loves the end destination, all the praise and the compliments. that People can be very attracted to the likes that you get on Instagram. But the process, when it's the middle of winter and you've got to get up at 6 a.m. and go and do some steps because you're going to be sat in your desk chair at the office all day if that's what you do for work, and then you've got to come home and prep your food and do all those things. There's an element of sacrifice and there's an element of responsibility to the prep because you're investing time, money. And if you're not willing to make that sacrifice, then you just shouldn't do it. Yeah. All right. There's nothing wrong with that. That's why you've got to be in the, <clears throat> in the right place within your life. And the best thing about this sport is the stage will always be there. There's so many shows yeah. all year round now. Yeah. There's so much opportunity, mm-hmm. but... That's why I think having a bit of foresight around when you are going to compete, knowing when it is, because if I use myself as an example, my prep is going to start in about eight weeks or something, but everything that I'm doing now is as though I'm about, I'm in contest prep. Yeah. I might go out for, you know, a super on a Friday, that's the one thing it's still tracked. but otherwise even things like making sure your steps are tracked, putting in place the systems around, you know, the family so that I know that what my schedule is going to be. So when it t- comes time to press play, it's a real seamless transition because you've prepared everything in advance you know what's expected of you uh, and you know what's required so if all of those bits and pieces are set up so that you can thrive rather than always having to troubleshoot if you're having to troubleshoot all the time then perhaps it's not the right time for you to compete yeah
0: i, I think a, a one of the a, a factor that you can see that someone's doing this for the wrong reason or their life is not congruent to prep Is if they're constantly complaining and negative about the whole process. 100%, there's gonna be complaining and there's gonna be negative to do with (laughs) with the prep for sure. But if it outweighs any of the positives, and you think to yourself, why are you doing this? Like, why are you doing something that is just bringing negativity and it's just, you're just complaining about it constantly? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's normally a key indicator that you're doing this all for the wrong reasons or your life's not, it's not congruent to it, for sure. Or you're just not... And, and maybe in the future it will be, right? But just right now, it's not time, right? So and that's what we said, like, stage is always going to be there um, and you don't need to do a show right now. Maybe it's not right for you right now, which is perfectly fine. Um, and maybe it'll never be right for you, but maybe it's just now that it's not working for you. Doesn't mean it can't never be done, for sure. Yeah. Um, we got a question about what do you think about taking over a client or someone changing coaches, um, you know, halfway through their prep that they said about nine to 10 weeks out? Um, yeah, what, like, what, what would you think about taking someone on that's kind of halfway through or, you know, that nine to 10 week out mark, would you recommend that person change coaches? And would you, as a coach, take someone on? I literally had that happen
2: to me two weeks ago. Yeah,
0: and, mm.
1: and yeah, yeah, that you actually, yeah, that was someone last season as well. Who, who, me? no, no, Scotty, as well. Scotty, I think you, yeah. who, who I think you suggested just finish the prep and then, um, take over post that point as well. Yeah, and away, yeah, it it Scott. Scotty.
0: Why What's that? Sorry? that Sorry. My volume's
2: gone all weird. Hold on. Go again. Sorry. Volume went why, all weird. why did you
0: take that person on recently that was <clears throat> their prep?
2: Well, firstly, he <clears throat> reached out to me. And again, like I was saying, he said that he had spoken to uh, a few people who I coach and work with. <clears throat> and, uh, and at first, whenever that first happens, I always start saying thanks for reaching out, blah, blah, blah. Firstly, I can't guarantee I can't say yes, uh, I can because obviously I've got no idea where you're at. So, before we can do that, there's some basic things that I need on your end. So, um, send me through some check in picks that you have, did it straight away. So, things that I'm looking for, if he's like, yeah, I'll send them through, but send them through straight away within three or four minutes of me asking what I needed. They were in my inbox in an email. So, I was like, all right, he's pretty enthusiastic. How do you not really mucked around? And I'm like, I've got a busy day. Do I really want to invest time out of my day with someone who may be, half in half out so it was super enthusiastic uh and then i was like all right well given where he's at and unfortunately he didn't start prep he was running a shorter contest prep than what he should have given where he was at but i was like okay this is potentially achievable but before we can do that i need to know i don't know anything about this person so we need to schedule a consult and then explain this is what we'll cover and from my end I'm gauging what is he like as a person, what is his ability like to be able to push and dig because in an ideal world, we would have started prep at 28 weeks out, not at 11 weeks out. (laughs) Um, And again, willing to do whatever it takes, yada, yada, yada. And so based on information um, and that console, I got all the info that I needed. Um, I was able to identify, yep, roughly I reckon we do, but I couldn't just say then and there, this is what we're going to do. I said, you need to give me at least 24 hours so I can actually... Run some numbers, work out where we need to be, and then I guess map out how we're going to go about the amount we need to lose, the time frames, and essentially periodize it all so that I can have it in front of me, and then I can actually deliver it to you so that you'll actually understand that we have that um, transparency between us. And then that was what we did. There was an element that I was very transparent. The first four to six weeks going to be super aggressive because. We've got X amount we need to lose. And this is the time frame we have. And again, we also need to allow for a, a slow rate of loss towards the end. Otherwise we're just going to lose lean tissue. And the crappy thing is this guy had tried to work so hard over a two and a half, three year off season period, but the coach just hadn't invested in that. And also didn't give him the tools to succeed thinking that you could just get lean in 14 weeks from where he was starting from fortunate enough, he's we've been able to pull off some real extreme amounts of composition in such a short time. And he's, he's definitely, he will, he'll be ready um, when it comes for for show one. And the other crazy thing, this guy has potential, you know, I'm not naming who the, who this person is, but I think he does listen to the podcast. So you'll probably know, but he has potential to contend in the next 12 months for a, for a pro card. So it's like, it, it sucks that his coach, 't done him the disturb the dis, hasn't done him the service to be able to give him everything he needed and set up the right protocols and the planning in place for him to thrive didn't set him up for success from the start uh, but again before we commenced that relationship from working together I was very transparent in that you need to make sure that you've ceased your existing because I'm not going to have you still working with someone else and then working with me so once that is 100% um, concluded and that's done, uh, and he said that it was, he had terminated it. It was fine. He wanted to get cracking straight away. So again, I matched that enthusiasm and I had everything over to him within like 12 hours of our last consult because I knew that time was of the essence. And again, he's super enthusiastic. And one of my philosophies with with coaching is if someone's enthusiastic, I'll match that enthusiasm 100%. So I yeah. had it over to him and uh, it's been really, really smooth sailing, you know, ever since. In an ideal world, it would have been better if we had more time. But on the other side of of the coin, I've had people that have said they're in prep and I've had to have that hard conversation. You just don't have enough time. So if you want to cease your prep and the relationship with your coach, that's, that's fine. In terms of what I would recommend, and again, map it out for them. This is how I would treat the next six to 12 weeks. Let's recover out of this little phase that you've been in. You need to give me 12 months to be able to make the adjustments that we need. And then let's look at this show here. So if you want to work with me, that is how I'm going to go about um, coaching you. But I've also had people say, no, no, I'm going to do this season. Like, do you want to prep me or not? And I'm happy to say, you're better off just finding someone else. But again, anyone that takes you on doesn't have your best interest at heart and is just thinking of yeah. their wall. Yeah.
0: Uh, man, uh, literally everything you've said is exactly how I've done it and exactly what um, what I'd be telling them too. Mm-hmm. It's getting as much information as possible off them, analyzing that data, seeing whether it's achievable, setting an expectation. If you don't think that it's achievable and they want to continue on, good luck with someone else. Someone else will definitely take your money for you, (laughs) off you. Um, And yeah, I've started people nine weeks out, 10 weeks out, one week out, two weeks out. It really just depends, right? But one thing I always make sure is I always... And this is from a social media aspect. Aspect, If I'm going to post that person and say, hey, look at this person achieved on stage, they won, they whatever, I'll always make sure I spell out, I took this person on X weeks out, right? And they were with someone else. And it's almost like I'm not trying to take the credit for everything. It's like mm-hmm. all I did was just showed you what I did from this amount of time I've been with them. Because as we know, and we've, we've seen this, is some coaches will take the credit for maybe some other coaches work so I always try to make sure that I, um, I that we do that and we have that, that level of respect for everyone else in the industry I don't know you boys did sure. the same thing but yeah, uh, you,
1: you've handled yourself very well many occasions on like that man I've, I've seen it for a few times and yeah. you've always always been very respectful and very very transparent in, in what you're putting out
0: yeah yeah you've you got, you got to make sure like why would I take the take it, for, take it from anyone else? And yeah. if you got a good result from when you started with them to when they jumped on stage and even if it's nine, 10 weeks, but you can show the that result, that's just proving your work, right? So for sure. just be transparent in everything that you do. But have you been in those situations too, MG?
1: Yeah, I've taken someone this season yeah. um, where they wanted to do um, the first show and I said, we, I don't, we're not going to have enough time. So I mm-hmm. said, I definitely think we can get ready, but it's going to be for the second show, which is obviously six weeks later. Mm-hmm. Um and same as Scotty, everything happened super fast. Um, all the data that I needed was there. And then actually we've been together for just over a month now and I'm actually changing my mind and we are going to do the first show because the results have been so good in such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So, so I said initially, no, um, we'll do the second one cause I didn't want to put them on stage, not looking prepped, but things have gone so well that I'm actually reinstating that first show now. So yeah,
0: awesome. Things do change. like Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, next question we got was where is it i think it was a cool one actually um pumping up on show day um when do you pump up and not how do you pump up but when do you know when to pump up on show day do you want to take that one scotty
2: yeah Yeah, sure so firstly from however many hours out from when you're going to be on stage. Typically your coach will have given you like a show day plan, I would presume. And you'd have the meals that you're going to consume and the, the timing of those meals. And, uh, and so typically what I do, I was normally, I'll normally have a note that will request when they need to pump up after which meals and then sending photos, because a big part of our job is managing the look from as soon as they wake up. doesn't matter what you did the day before, or the day before that, it matters what you have in front of you. And again, it's a moving target, being able to hold a look, or if you're regressing, you need to top it back up again. You just need to constantly be on your toes. So typically, if you're pushing in carbohydrate uh, with with a meal, there will normally be a pump out that will follow so that you can just help uh, partition that carbohydrate, get it to where you want it to go. But if we're talking about like, they're calling out the numbers, we're heading to the wooden floors, you know, let's go guys, then... I think at around about half an hour out from from when your first division is, is when you should be starting to commence that pump up. The pump up should never be rushed. You should be able to just take your time, compose yourself, be methodical in the way that you move through it. You don't start going crazy, pumping out curls. Your work, I like to be very um, cyclical. So for example, say, okay, we're gonna start here. We're gonna go this, 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 and this, in this order, but I want you to run through five rounds, take a breather, have a little bit of water, and then I'll come and have a look at you. And so they'll go through that process. Yep, sweet. Okay, now I want you to focus a little bit more on this. And so it's just, again, you're constantly just fine-tuning and auto-regulating in real time. But essentially about half an hour out, once you've had your your pre-workout or you've pushed in your citrulline, um, you want to start to think about pumping up within about 10 minutes of that, just so that you can push it into circulation. But otherwise, essentially after each meal that you're putting in carbohydrate, that's when you would uh, you would pump up.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. There's one thing probably that most people don't do that we can we see backstage is they don't pump up after meals, um, which is which is we know is pretty important to Mm -hmm. to shovel that carbohydrate in a little bit. Um, Can you pump up too much?
2: Yeah, for sure. If you're pumping up for an hour, and this is where you need to, and your coach needs to be really on the money with how far out are you? Are you running behind? Because if you keep pumping up then and there's an hour that goes by and you're still pumping up, you're just burning through some of that carbohydrate, you know, that muscle glycogen stores that you've tried to top up, that's essentially if you're not eating, that's what you're, um, you're using. And as an example, I remember my very first pro show started pumping up and they just kept giving us bad information. And from when I started to when I stepped on, it was almost two hours. Well. Wow. And so it was lucky where we had gauge because some of the lineups they were up there for 35, 40 minutes, it was just ridiculous because they were huge lineups. So I was literally just feeding every sort of 15 minutes, taking on about 20 grams of carbohydrate, just glucose, so that it was readily being absorbed, topping up, topping up, topping up. Because if you don't, then the look's going to fade. Yeah. And also if it's been however many hours since your last meal, you, you also get tired as well and you pushed in normally an acute dose of sodium and if you're still pumping up and you're not also onboarding fluid with that then essentially the physique as you're trying to get warmer, you're slowly dehydrating more and more and more and then if you get out on stage and you've spilled and you haven't made that you know adjustment of water that you need to take on as well so again it's always a moving target so you just have to be across the time barriers so always be checking in what division are they at all the staff at, at all the feds are pretty good with that. Like how yep. far out are we? Yep. Don't just go by what's on the running sheet. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, that's really important to stay in contact with the marshals at the back. Yeah. To know how far out they are when, you know, when they're coming up, what division <clears> they're at. So, you know, roughly how much time you've got left to stage. And yeah, I think you made a really good point about not getting puffed out. Cause we've seen people that will be pumping up right before stage, they walk out and, and they're huffing and puffing and they can't control their core. Because they're just, (laughs) they're pumped up too much or too hard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, Scotty, how do you hold a pump? Because, you know, we've seen a lot of people that can't hold a pump. Um, I know there's a lot of things to do with hydration, electrolytes, carbohydrates, things like that. But do you want to talk a little
2: bit about that? So if you can't hold a pump or get a pump, then you're flat.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: What does that mean? So as in when you play, you just haven't topped up muscle glycogen stores and potentially you don't have enough sodium in circulation. You know, again, if we were, maybe you can speak about your first show last year, MG, because you sort of you you experienced that in real in real time. Me? M- yeah?
0: yeah MT, yeah, M- sorry, I said M T. I I it's been I five meant- hours since I've hey, I been in I knew what he meant because I remember
1: though. I remember backstage at my show. I was pumping up and you're like, man, you look fine. And I kept walking around and you're like, can you just fucking sit down for fucking yeah. two minutes? You remember? <laughs> I was fine. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. with me, yeah. like yeah, MT, sorry. I, I, um, for my first show, yeah, I couldn't get a pump. I couldn't feel it. I couldn't feel that that tightness you feel. Like if you're doing bicep curls, right, for your pump up, as an example, and you can't feel the bicep getting tight, like the skin getting tight and it filling out, or even when you're doing, for guys, when they're doing you know, push-ups for chest and things like that, and you can't feel it getting tight and filling out, or you can't feel a contraction, even when you're flexing a bicep or flexing your chest and you just can't feel that like peak contraction, um, then you know that you can't get a pump. And that's what I had in my first show. Compared to the ICN show, the second show where I was vascular, <laughs> everything was full, I could get a pump, I could feel it, I could feel a burn. I could feel it filling out. I could feel the skin tight against, you know, against the muscle. That's the, that was the biggest difference for sure.
2: And and it wasn't just carbohydrate that was a problem. Like with you, it was yeah. like, I even remember right before you going out, I, we were speaking and I was like, bro, you need to push in some, some sodium like yeah. quick and you were popping them on. But again, it was just a little bit too late, but too late, to yeah. not having that balance, right. And that's why I always talk about. In order to get your peak right, you've got to track your electrolyte levels and you should know how much carbohydrate um, that you need to be able to, to push in. But typically, if it's a flat look, it's normally as a result of carbohydrate, fluid, and and sodium. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, MG? Anything to add on that?
1: No, nah, nah, I reckon yours is a really, really good example. Um, and remember, we had, we had one of my mates come down who's actually prepping just because he wanted to watch that whole filling out process. Process. Mm. That's another thing that comes back to what we were talking about earlier about like some of the expectations from like what you should have from your coach is like you know a pretty detailed plan on what's going to happen that day with approximations right because as Scotty said he he thought he would be on two hours earlier and these things happen right stage times get delayed but you should have a pretty good idea as to roughly when you're consuming each of your meals roughly when you are pumping up um, and how long you know you're going to be pumping up for I know like Scott, on your plans, I know your shadow plans. You write in the morning, five minute pump up, send some photos. Next meal, two hours later, five minute pump up, send some photos. Like it doesn't have to be anything too crazy because you're not trying to obviously burn through all the glycogen that you just put in your body. But you should have a very, f- fairly good plan as to what you're doing that morning. Um, and if you're just winging it and you know not sending any pictures to your coach as to what you're looking like or assessing as you go, then that's probably a bit of an issue as well. and
2: the other thing with those pump-ups let's say that with that five-minute pump up you should be able to get a pump straight away because you've done nothing you've topped up muscle glycogen stores and if you can't again that's a really really good metric to be able to gauge okay can't get a pump we're flat here we need to push in a bit more fluid some sodium and i'm going to push in a big carbohydrate meal and then let's see how you go with your next meal and your next pump up Mm -hmm. now we've got a response okay we're cool and again sometimes you can do all the right things in the lead up to that but for whatever reason some people just burn through it um, overnight, and that that does tend to tend to happen. Yep.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I think an important component too is um, also during your pump up rounds or once you're pumped up, whatever it may be, is go through your posing too. Yes. Because that can definitely help facilitate some sharpness to to your physique. Yeah, I love that. Pose. <laughs> yeah. Because you know we see all the time is if Sorry. someone's on round after round, like you know division come off, get them done they they improve sometimes because they've just kept posing and yep. posing. And even while we see them up there being compared, because they've been posing for so long, they just get sharper and sharper and sharper. So practicing posing during pump up or, you know, before you jump on stage is, is important too.
2: And when you're not pumping up, you should be just chill. like, MG was a perfect example. I literally would have just, he was just so itching to get out there and he was pacing. Yeah. I was like, bro, just chill out, sit down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you definitely got to calm your nerves a bit too. Yeah,
1: it yeah. wasn't even it wasn't even nerves, man. I was literally just like he was just itchy. I was yeah. amped, man. I was like, yeah, exactly. let's, yeah. you know, let's go, down and do it now, like. Yeah. But also, yeah, I, it's really hard for me just in normal life to sit still. Like yeah. even on this potty, right? I'm fidgeting like it's. I, oh, I always, no. <laughs> my, my, I always struggle sitting, still. So it's just me twenty four seven. But um, so but it is important, right? Because all that pacing up and down. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm starting to flatten out again. Well, fucking sit down, you idiot!
0: <laughs> All right, boys, man. This this makes me excited for the first show. It's in like two and a half weeks. The rookies, uh, ICN, I know MG and, and myself will be there. Scotty, you'll be uh, enjoying a little trip. You, just, um, you, yeah, you, they, you guys have got to
2: send me send me some photos though, because I'm I'm spewing. Even with my check ins this morning, some of my guys that are. The, uh eight weeks out talking about our um trial peak weeks that we're going to be employing at four weeks out in my head I'm like four weeks out it's exciting I'm, yeah yeah this is when you love what you do it's just like yeah It's nice because after season b everyone's a bit burnt out and you're just yeah. hanging for a break and now I'm itching to get back there I'm actually spewing that I'm um at, at first I was like nah it'll be good because I get a bit more of a break but now i'm I'm um, I'm itching to get back it's gonna be yeah good. I'm, I'm, I'm itching man and then like after
0: that show I think Every weekend, there's something. There's either a show or there's a workshop or there's oh, something. The,
1: ne- the next weekend is double posing workshops for, for A&B. We've got guys yeah. on two separate days. And then it's non-stop from there onwards.
0: Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to go fast. Yeah. It's, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah it's going to be awesome. It's going to be good. All right, fellas. Uh, good yeah. chatting to you. And uh, we'll definitely be catching up very, very soon. Well, Friday night. Sounds soon. good. Have a good Friday. day, boys. See you, boys.